Good afternoon, everybody. Episode 44 of Cycling Talk, Lowland Cycling. It's February 26th today, um, around five o'clock in the uh, the afternoon, Sunday. And what a lot of racing past week and especially this weekend. The classic seasons had uh, started off um, and it did not disappoint. How are you guys doing? We've got the whole team here. Stuart, did you do any uh, any racing uh, this weekend, riding yourself? Yeah, yeah. I went with uh, with Jeff to an event up in um, Flemington, New Jersey called the Sourland Semi-Classic. And uh, the debate of whether it is a road ride or a gravel ride started when I picked up Jeff. And I uh, had my road bike and he had his gravel bike totally ready. Um, we loaded up, pulled out, quick chatted, went back into the driveway, went up, got his road bike and uh, and continued on. Um, so we rode, rode the event on our road bikes. Um, there was definitely some deep gravel there. Um, I got a sidewall slash uh, that I was able to seal up with orange seal and uh, some CO2, but it was a was a fun day. Oh, okay. And how many how many miles is it in total? Uh, 58 miles, about 4,000 feet of climbing. I'd say maybe about, Jeff, what would you say, 10 miles of gravel? Yeah, that sounds about right. Yep. And, and it's uh, a, a fun event. They technically have a neutral rollout um, and kind of a, a rolling start anytime between about nine and 10. Um, but we rolled out with probably about 30 of us or so and uh, starts off with uh, some gravel along a road or along a river. And the first serious climb that splits things up is around mile 16 or so. Um, and then it kept on getting whittled down till at one point it was me, Jeff, and one other guy were the only, only three left from about our 30 man group. And he, the other guy was waiting for somebody else. Um, so he kind of turned around and went back for his buddy and Jeff and I rode for a long while together and, um, just conversational pace at that point while we were kind of waiting for the, the rest of the group to come back up to us and came back up uh what was it five people came back up to us at that point and two mm. two of which were ladies and they were moving the ladies it was impressive yeah. uh because oh, the guys they were with were very strong and were mm. putting the hurt on me and jeff um mm -hmm. yeah and then um eventually one of them got a flat and then it was me and jeff for about the final 20 miles and yeah had a fun day um averaged right around 19 20 miles an hour uh pushed hard and had fun right yep yeah, the only bummer was we got back to the car and we missed the KOM for the whole race by two minutes, and we were like, "Ah, oh, we could have like the flat, you know." Mm, yeah, we were yeah. waiting, and it was like, if we had we known if we'd kept motoring, we would have easily taken it. But there was like a traffic light where there was a lot of traffic, and you know, we maybe we could have cut across the road sooner or something. There was another time where we stopped waiting for those guys, and like I took a jacket out of my pocket and put it on while we were hoping they would come back up to us, so we didn't have to do forty miles mm. by ourselves and. Um, hindsight. <laughs> yep. Right. Yeah. But, yeah. It, two, it was two a minutes fun day. Is nothing. You should. You could have easily gotten that. Uh, that that KOM. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. yeah. But the the guy who said it, you know, good on him. Uh, he, from what I could tell, was was by himself. Actually, Jeff. It was the other guy in there in orange, who oh, okay. was eating pizza when we were in there. He set the fastest time of like three hours and seven minutes for fifty eight miles. Okay. Mm. Hmm. That's, that's that's doable, right? Yeah. 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 
So that was a good It was night. windy and yeah. it was cold. Yeah, I mean, when windy. we started, it was, yeah, it was out windy. there. It was much yeah. colder than it was here. Uh, when we got out of my car, my car was saying it was 28 degrees. Um, there was about 100%. It was like we were in a cloud, the humidity there. Um, so it was a pretty, pretty brutal start. But um, after about an hour or so, we were pretty warm. Right. Mm-hmm. How about you guys? You get out to ride? Um, I got out today. Yesterday, I Great. went out and uh, rode. Actually, I rode with Jerry on Zwift yesterday. We nice. did. Uh, we did. Uh, was it? What's the name of that route, Jerry? The the full route of Scotland. And I think we both we both rode for about two hours or so. So awesome! Yeah, it, was, it was great. Yeah, it was good. And today, I did brave the uh, brave the elements. Today, got out you know, about fifty miles. Felt good. Group of about five guys. We had a great time. Great. Yeah, it's I'd, funny, you know, after after you know last year on Thursday when it was 70 degrees, it's just yeah. so hard mentally to get all of the gear back on for winter weather, but you have to realize it's still only February. So, you know, it, we're gonna have some cold weather yet. So I gotta get back into the swing of things saying it's okay to ride in cold. Right. Yeah, yeah it is hard. Yeah, I I stayed inside. It was um we actually had uh, somebody over from the it's a nephew from my from my wife's side, and uh, he actually lives in Ghent. Um, so mm. I said, "What are you doing here?" Right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> the classic season is starting, and they're literally starting in Ghent. So, um, <laughs> but he had, he was here for work in Baltimore. Um, you know, I was doing some research for a university, but uh, um, so that kind of limit my uh, my time on the on on the bike. But you know, I did a did a workout today and. Um, it was it was a four times eight um, at a hundred percent FTP, and you know I I coach a lot of people, but while I was doing that four times eight minute at a hundred percent FTP, I was like swearing at myself and like you know FTP <laughs> is an effing illusion, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you got to is... talk to your coach there, Jerry. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like. Uh, yeah, that's that's the thing, you know. It's how, how should I put it? So FTP is a great number. It's just one indicator, right? Of how are you doing, and I'm making progress. But it's, you know, it's it's um, overvalued number. Um, um, so for lack of better metrics, if you don't have anything else, sure, FTP does have its place in in getting better, but. It's most certainly not. I, I won't. I, it's you would be pretty unique if you truly could do your FTP for a full hour, and that's what they say, right? It's your functional mm-hmm. threshold power, which you should be able to do a, a full hour. I, I don't think a lot of people can actually do that. Well, I think I've seen studies where where you can't. Even the pros, the pros averaged, I believe, in the study that they did fifty one minutes at FTP, yeah, and it decreased from there. So you know, we're as you know, seasoned cyclists, we're probably in the forty range yeah. or thirty range or whatever. But you know, the average person that goes in and does an FTP test can probably only hold it for twenty minutes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So, and that's what I see in the in the data for the people that I coach. Mm-hmm. Um, the the value that I look at is the TTE, the time to exhaustion, um, and that's usually mm-hmm. around that that forty minute mark. Mm-hmm. 
Mm -hmm. um, if somebody is in really good shape and training for, you know, further in the season, so they have that, that toughness, um, they might get to 44 maybe. <laughs> uh, but between, you know, 35 and... 44 that's that that's really all that i all that i see um and that's uh so you know i was thinking about that so <laughs> um but uh yeah so that, that was my training um and in the meanwhile i was you know doing watching a lot of the of the racing um so so let's let's start there um we had a stage race like we said in uh the, the, the uee tour tour right so mm -hmm. Um, Stuart, I think you saw quite a lot of that. That yeah, race. yeah. I tried to watch it. Um, I wake up around four thirty-five a.m. every day. I don't want to trust me, but I do. Um, it's terrible. Anywho, the good thing is that race starts around five fifty every day, so I got to watch a lot of it. And um, the first stage specifically was one of the most incredible sprints. It was between uh, Merlier and Ewan. Um, the stage in general was a fun one. The first day, mm. there was a lot of crosswinds. People mm. got broken up. Um, Plop specifically from uh, Ineos Grenadiers, the Australian national champ. He was one of the few that was able to cross the yeah, uh, so echelon from one echelon to mm -hmm. another. Definitely put that TT prowess to uh, to use there. <clears throat> but the, the finish between Merlier and Ewan was so close that I mean I don't know how they how they said that Tim actually won because really when when you're looking at it I think it was Robbie McEwen was announcing as well he was saying I can't call it I've never seen a race this close and it was reminded me of that Milan San Remo between Pidcock and Van Art where they gave it to Van Art but it was one of those races where everyone was like who actually won and that's exactly how stage 1 was very very fun to watch um stage 2 was a team time trial it's been a long time since we've seen that that was a 17.3 kilometer stage quick step one by one second mm -hmm. and uh mm -hmm. they do have the world's worst helmets although did you guys see <laughs> uno x's helmets uno X's, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we'll talk about that a little bit later gosh right. yeah um yeah you know, so they won by one second. So, you know, as much as we're, we're joking uh, at the expense of the way these guys look with these ridiculous uh, helmets, it's, it's got to like, do like, something. It's like the movie Spaceballs and Dark exactly. Vader, right? Yes, <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. Yes. Yeah. I think the um, surprise of the TTT was that uh, EF held the lead for so yes, long. Totally. I mean, that was surprising. EF's really stepped it up this year, and I think that's a good example of it. They seem to have a lot of fun. Yes. Yeah. Their their guys are always always uh, yeah. yeah always smiling and having a good time, and I think that goes a long way. Um, stage three was a mountaintop. It was the first mountaintop of the race. Uh, Rubio from Movistar ended up winning that stage pretty handily. He went with a few kilometers to the finish and it looked like a pretty bold move. Uh, he held on to it and ended up winning. Remco came in second and with the time bonus he got, he ended up taking over the lead there. Um, that was, a, that was a another fun one to watch. Um, right. and, 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 Pleb, and Pleb, uh, you know, as young as he is, he's mm -hmm. 20, 22 years old. Mm -hmm. um, he came in fifth. Um, so, you know, that was, you know, I, I'm very impressed with the guy. So he's uh, he's a super strong, great pickup by, by, by Ineos. 
Yeah, you're right. You're totally right. Now, Jeff and I today were talking about that as well. I mean, even the way he won this year's national championship, mm-hmm. um, as I recall, it was a circuit and he kept getting drifted off and, you know, he kept on battling back, getting back into that lead group. And he did that final descent. He got back into the lead group, but didn't let up. It went with like two or three K left. And even though he was looked apparently the weakest one there, he went, everybody hesitated. And again, you know, being a time trialist, he, uh, Got the got the national champion was that second year in a row. Um, yeah, he's a fun fun racer to watch. Um, stage four, five, and six were all flat stages. They were won by uh, Sebastian Milano from UAE, Dylan Grunewagen, and then uh, stage six was Tim Ollier. Uh My apologies in advance for butchering their names, uh, <laughs> Jerry. Maybe you're the one who should be announcing their names <laughs> as I'm uh, Chris Hornering it over here. <laughs> Uh, then stage seven, uh, that definitely was a fun one. It was another mountaintop finish. And um, man, it was awesome to see Yates get out there and really yes. put it to Remco. He was able to drop Remco. Um, then there was the AG2R guy. I believe it was Bouchard who was in third. And then Sepp Kuss, the American, was in fourth. Um, but yeah, it was it was another fun one. Good to see Yates get out there and uh, take the win on that one. And um, Remco took the overall with Plop behind and 59 seconds behind. Yates at one minute. Man, Plop mm. and Yates being one second apart. And uh, Peo Bill Bow was only a minute uh, 03, so he was three seconds. So to have second, third, and fourth be within four seconds, pretty awesome race. Yeah, and that, that last stage is... Uh starting to get a little bit iconic right it's it's mm. flat for 140 k's um and then you know it's just that that mountain it kicks <laughs> up you know really it, yeah it picks yeah. up and it's uh yeah um and again it's it's a beautiful road it's almost like riding on the on the you know four lane highway and and they just you know the, the first k or two they fly up that hill um, and then you know that it, it thin, thins out quite quickly, and it, you, mm-hmm. know, you will end up with a with an epic uh, battle most of the times. And uh, yep. this year was the was the same, but it's just uh, super flat, and then boom, there you have mm-hmm. the uh, Jebel Havid. That's the mountain. That's yeah, mm-hmm. right. pretty gnarly. It's a, it does show the difference with, with it shows what gradient does because Jebel Jace is a much longer climb and, and certainly vertically too, but it's a diesel climb. There's, you know, it's, it maybe maxes out at 9%, but it averages more like five to 6% for the duration of it, where Jebel Hafeet is a much, much steeper climb and it uh, is much more conducive to attacks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it was it was great to see Yates um, do that attack and put Remco to the sword. And um, Jeff and I were talking about just the speed that Yates was approaching the finish. He was he was flying. Yeah. It was really really fun to watch. Um, then we had a few other races going on. Uh, um, obviously the big ones, but before we get to them, we had the Gran Camino in Spain. Mm-hmm. Uh, quite unusual. There was a lot of snow over there. Stage one. Um, ended up getting um, neutralized with about 20 kilometers left. Um, Vinigo went on to win the remainder of the stages and in pretty dominant fashion. Um, and yeah, he ended up taking the overall as well. But uh, he is on form. And we'll talk about it a little bit more. But Yumbo Visma is on form. Um, For sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah and, so then, and, and, you know, to stick around with that race a little bit mm-hmm. more. 
you know what what I found impressive was you know obviously the the mountain stages, but he basically took off three. The one race was three kilometers before you know, below yeah. the top, and the other one was two kilometers below the top. So that just shows a ton of confidence in, like, okay, he's probably looking at his power meter and thinking, I got at least fifty watts to spare. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm going, <laughs> right? Yeah, and he just yeah. rides away from the others. You're right. I mean, it looked like he was mouth breathing right. when everyone else was just on the rivet, just barely able to do anything. And then when he went, everyone was just like, are you kidding me? Right. Like, you're gone. See ya. It was incredible. Yeah. Yeah. So, I don't know. Every year just seems to get better and better. Um, I, I've been watching road racing, all kinds of racing, Um for a couple of decades now and yes you had epic races and you have epic battles but you know the the talent is there, there's this you know there's a, a a top 10 maybe a top five that's you know a little bit above the rest or maybe a lot above the rest but it's 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 so much broader uh than it than it was in the in in the past and it, i think it's just amazing and you know they they go for it every every race it's it's very very exciting racing i heard somebody talk about how that changed with the pandemic yeah how that mentality of we might not race tomorrow literally um it seems like it started a bit before that but that seems to have really helped and it's made it more fun for all of us yeah absolutely yeah, there, there's a whole i wouldn't say controversy but um in the podcast, the, the, the Lance Armstrong, the Move podcast, uh, Joe and Bernil. And by the way, Lance Armstrong hasn't been on the last two or three podcasts. So for the listeners, if you're looking for the, the Move podcast, Lance isn't in the show. So, you know, yeah. <laughs> you're doing it with uh, Bernil and uh, two other guys. But uh, anyways, um, um, he, the, Bernil was, was talking about, you know, Pogacar, isn't it too soon? Why is he doing this already? You know, there is no need for doing it. And, you know, the people, you know, Brunil with his history, with Lance Armstrong and the U.S. Postal, they were basically saying, look look who's talking, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Are you really allowed to say something about how, how anybody else is, you know, preparing their season and, and uh, um, uh, racing? So, uh, but, you know, obviously, I... You know, time will tell. Um, these guys are so young, and maybe in five years from now or six years from now, uh, they're completely washed out and burnt all their matches. But, you know, we had four or five years of really exciting racing, <laughs> right? And they it's, absolutely no, wrote history. So, you know, yeah. yeah. Th- that's a really interesting point you said because uh, Lance Armstrong was about when I got into cycling. Yeah, I wasn't riding, but I started watching it. I was probably 12, 13 years old. What was that? Oh, 99, um, 98. And from what I've heard before that, you know, riders would pretty much try to mm-hmm. win every race all year round. Right. Um, then it seemed like Lance really changed it to you peak for one, maybe two events a year, and that's it. Um, it's good to see kind of going back to the more traditional way, I guess it used to be right. of mm-hmm. how, you know, we expect Joan, Jonas Vindigo and, uh, and Taddy to be winning now and to be winning, you know, come the end of the season. Right. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Mm-hmm. 
But Brunil brought up a good point, which is like it's not just uh, Pogacar, right? That's that's getting burned out. He's burning out his teammates too. So yeah, you know, he, he may have the legs and stuff, but these guys have to be, you know, on point in July. And uh, if they're wasting energy now, that's just going to take away from their efforts later on in the season. That's why they keep on picking up more more people to, on their team. <laughs> they now teams. have Yates, they have Vine, they've got Bilbao. You know, they keep on going and keep on need to get more and more guys on their team. I guess yeah. maybe that's good. Maybe the rosters will expand. Yeah. Instead of a 20 on a team, yeah. there'll be 30 or 40. Right. Yeah. But but that, that is a fair point, right? If you're, you know, if, if Pogachar is basically riding at 80% and the other ones have to, you know, do the lead-ins, get the bottles, you know, get them out of the wind, but they are constantly riding at 95%. Uh, percent. Um, yeah, they will burn out earlier in the season than, uh, than, mm-hmm. than he will. So where where will his team um, then end up? Um, mm-hmm. But that's, that's probably a good segue in, you know, talking about teams. <laughs> there, mm-hmm. is, there is a certain p- team in the peloton that's... Uh, you know, dominated the weekend uh, of, of of classics. Who would like to go ver- first on uh, uh, Jeff, Jack? Do you uh, any any thoughts? Starting with the uh, Omloop had news blood um, mm-hmm. the first race on Saturday. Yeah, so that was an amazing finish. Um, what was insane is that this is Dylan Van Barl who, who won. Right. This is his seventh win. And that's that's it. But he he's won Perry Roubaix. He's won. <laughs> I mean, if if you could choose races to win, yep. in, in your not bad, huh? Yeah, I know. I mean, yeah. this is, and with his new team. So right, I was really, going to say, and his first race with his new team. So speaking yeah. of picking up good uh, good talent, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, just an amazing finish, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So last year he won Perry Roubaix and. Um, uh, he came in second um, in Tour de Flanders. Mm-hmm. That's where, you know, yep. uh, Pogacar <laughs> was away with uh, Mathieu van der Poel, and Mathieu van der Poel just was dropping the speed, you know, with a couple of hundred meters to go because he wants to start from a really low speed. And three other guys came up amongst, you know, uh, one of them was uh, Dylan van Baarle, and uh, uh, Pogacar got boxed in, and Mathieu van der Poel won the, won the sprint, um, and mm-hmm. Pogacar got fifth. Um, I yeah, believe. yeah, so, right, right. Yeah, yes, 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 <laughs> he yes. was not amused. Yeah, he was not happy. <laughs> yeah, he was not happy. Yeah. But but yeah, yeah. yeah, talking a little bit about the race itself, uh, uh, Stuart. What 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 did you think about uh, about the tactics? I, I think you know Jumbo, hundred k before yeah. finish. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, uh, so we were talking about it between Umlumpa and Kearns. Uh, Jerry and I were are uh, on opposite sides, so it's probably good for the listeners. Um, <laughs> I honestly, I think these solo breakaways, as impressive as they are, they're they're a little bit more boring for me to watch. Um, but man, the strength that he showed it was it was impressive, and to do that, it's it's incredible. Um, you know, so hats off to him. Uh, you know, it's unfortunate. I know Ben Turner ended up crashing yes. out and breaking his mm-hmm. elbow. Um, so there were a few others. Um, there was actually um, the the young guy on. Lotto who hung on to him. Um, I think it was Delee who yes. who hung on. You know, really, I think he was in the breakaway. Then mm-hmm. he got picked up and hung with him. That was really impressive to see. Um, but at the end of the day, man, Dylan was on fire. Yeah, yeah. To go forty k on your own is just just amazing. Mm-hmm. 
and there, there weren't any closer coming any closer and you know he he has a a, a huge engine um mm -hmm. he's, he's a fairly good time trialist uh but he he just sets the pace and just keeps on going and uh, he, he is really you know if you think about a diesel um usually he just warms up when he does 200k so with a race which was 207k that's normally where he gets started you know if mm -hmm. you're right so he's really for very roubaix um, uh, tour de flanders that, that those are his races but He's uh, he's shown um, some some epic uh, um, form already, and yeah. Uh, yeah, the young guy, you know, he's twenty years old, super impressive. Um, mm -hmm. I, I saw some some data analysis. He he did so the race was about five hours, so his um, uh, net power was three hundred fifty three watts. <laughs> for the five Man. hours for five <laughs> hours wow. oh my gosh yeah and i did 235 today for three <laughs> oh man i'm, I'm awesome right yeah you almost hit the KOM. <laughs> and uh then his his uh his his, his sprint values or going up these uh these these short climbs those values were were epic too so you know it in the pro peloton, if you really want to participate, you have to be able to do six watts per kilogram for 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 a long period. Otherwise, mm -hmm. you're just not going to cut it, right? Mm -hmm. So that's uh, you know that's just just for the listeners yep. to put things in perspective. If you're riding at three watts on on Swift, and your uh, you know your rack uh, your your legs are being ripped off, you know double that, and and you'll be able to do that in the in the pro peloton. <laughs> Yeah. Jerry, you just dashed my hopes. <laughs> <laughs> and then, uh, you know, another Yumbo guy, Christoph Laporte, he yes. ended up in third. Um, Christoph Alexander, or Alexander Christoph coming in fourth. It was good to see the old man represent, uh, but then Pidcock right there in fifth. Um, I know he was a lot of people's pre-race favorites. Um, it's impressive. Pidcock's a little guy. To see him be able to hold his own in a sprint finish like that against the likes of Alexander Kristoff and Kristoff Laporte, I mean, David Ballerini, Niels Pollitt, that's who came in seventh. You know, to see him right there as a little person, I'm only 5'6", you know, 145, so I, I get it. I can't imagine bumping elbows with those guys or having the power to be there. It's um, it's impressive. Right. But Pitcock is interesting. So I, I, I really like him. So I, I hope he does well. That he does better. But but yesterday he 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 wasn't there yet, and uh, you know his goal was basically to be there from the beginning until the end of the spring season. So hopefully he has another level that he can get to, mm. right? Because. You know, otherwise he's not going to be able to hang with uh, Wout van Aert and, and Van mm -hmm. der Poel and, and Pogacar um, if he doesn't find that that other level. And that you know, he basically offered his cyclocross season to to be ready for the for the spring classics. And you know, yesterday wasn't wasn't it. And mm -hmm. and maybe it has to do with Jumbo Visma's um, strategy, right? Going at a hundred k. Uh, because his team had to chase. He was, he was, you know, if you if you think about that picture in your, you know, that the Ineos team was pulling for a long time, and he was in 
third or fourth position um, in, in, in that small train chasing uh, the Jumbo Visma riders that were up the road um, and that there was at 100k um, so that you know um, uh, that, that strategy is working I guess <laughs> um, so you had um, Matteo Jurgensen came in 18th um, and Magnus Sheffield Sheffield in 22nd yeah so yeah, it's fairly good um, mm -hmm. they, will, they will get there um yeah anything else on uh and then we had the ladies race obviously mm -hmm. uh which was uh which was interesting too um you know the jumbo visma of the ladies team is uh seems to be uh sd works mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. they were very very strong uh anybody saw anything about about that race I just watched the highlights. I didn't see the whole thing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I watched was, a bit of it. I did, didn't watch. Yeah. Uh, they they didn't have as much coverage as I recall when I turned on. Uh, the coverage started around like 20K or so. Yes. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, Lotto Kopecky, she won super strong. I mean, she was, what, second at Worlds last year. She was second at Roubaix last year. Um, so she's been right there. It's uh, good to see her get the win because she is very strong and she went away. Um, I don't know the exact kilometers she went away, but she had a strong solo win. Yeah. And she, she bridged up to the one movie star who was in the, in, in the lead. Um, and she got somebody else, uh, Georgie Pfeiffer, mm. Pfeiffer. Um, uh, but she dropped them one by one um, on the, I believe it was the the Bosberg, um, a little bit, you know, um, not yeah, as much right. gradient. Yeah, and uh, she she rode away from them, so it was very very impressive. Um, and then you basically had uh, her teammates in the chasing group just being very disturbing, um, and 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 rightfully so. Um, and her uh, teammate uh, uh, Lorena Wiebes, which I also find very impressive because she's a pure sprinter she's a huge sprinter yeah, yeah. Um, and she came in uh, came in second um she you know but but yeah. she did a lot of cycle cross as well so yes. that's gotta help yeah. even if you're a pure sprinter um because i know the first couple of sprint races that um weebers did she didn't win she won one of them but I, I know she was beaten by dsm i think twice yeah um you know so i wonder if she was willing to sacrifice her sprint to become a better all-arounder and that's why she was doing a lot more cross this winter I think I think there is absolutely truth in that. Yeah, I think she the the the, the pure raw sprint power. I think she offered up a little bit to be you know um, to to be able to hang on 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 these shorter climbs in in the spring classics. Uh, um, I, th I think that's that's true. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So and then today we had uh, Brussels, Kuna, Brussels. Which you know was almost like a blueprint of yesterday, slightly different, uh, but Jumbo Visma just taking off with six guys. <laughs> um, I think it was not 100k. I think it was 94k or 92k mm -hmm. uh, before the before the finish. Yeah, and uh, they 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 and and I saw the the pre-race interviews. You know, their main goal was to drop uh, Fabio Jakobson. Uh, are now the Lee um, and one of two other sprinters because Kerner, Brussel Kerner, 
it's it usually ends up in a in, it's 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 not a big peloton but you know usually a bunch print of 40 50 guys um and uh, their goal was to drop these guys as quickly as possible um and and they did yeah it was a really exciting race um ended up with i think it was five off the front um and there were were I know at one point there were three Yumbo Vismas. Jan Tracknik ended up dropping off, and it was um, Teich Banut and Van Hoydonk were the two Yumbo Visma guys, along with Matty Mahorich. And who else was in that group? Um, Tim Wellens. Yep, and Taco yeah. Vanderhorn, uh, my, yeah. my favorite guy in the Peloton, Taco. Yeah, yeah I never uh, heard of Taco until today, and then Stuart's telling me all about him, and now I'm like his biggest fan. I love this guy, Taco. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah so, so for those who don't know, Taco's, uh, um, that is his real name, Taco Vanderhorn. He's from the Netherlands, is yes, that right, Jerry? Correct. Yeah. And he's one of the guys who kind of has been arrow is everything for some yes. years. Uh, you know, he's, he's one of those guys who would run the most narrow handlebars he possibly could, and then his hoods are way down them and then way in. So he's mm-hmm. just super, super arrow. Um, pays pays dividends, but he's also a smart rider. He's almost always in breakaways. Breakaway. He knows how to Specialty. find him. Yep. Totally. Yeah. Um, so it's fun to see him in there as well. Um, yeah, and then they all worked really, really well together. And then it got down to the final couple K. They had almost a minute gap, and it was pretty obvious that it was going to be one of them. And um Tish and Van Hoydonk, they were kind of playing the one-two card. Um, Tish looked like he was tying up the whole time and really looked like he didn't have much left. Um, but he went at the right time with under a K left. They were all kind of looking at each other, and he was on the back, and he went. And everybody hesitated, just that one split second. And as soon as there was a gap, he he kept on going. And um, great to see. Yeah, He's a fun impressive. rider to watch. It's impressive. Mm-hmm. You know what? What really caught my eye was um, uh, Peter Sagan. He was in that. You know, when they took off initially, he was in that group, uh, but he didn't last very long. Maybe after five or ten, one of these climbs, he got got dropped immediately, and it was he was like, just park the brakes. <laughs> I'm I'm done, and. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, if you think about Peter Sagan, I, you know, such an amazing rider. He was in his era. He was basically, you know, the the Van der Poel, Van Aert, mm-hmm. uh, Philippe, uh, you know, from from ten years ago. And you know, he, he yeah, he he couldn't hang with with this this bunch um, riding up to, uh, up that hill. Um, I, I was I was rooting for him. It would be cool to to have him. You know, at least be competitive and uh you know in the in deep in the finals but uh unfortunately uh, not yet hopefully mm-hmm. yeah i mean he he's 33 and how long has he been racing at this level when he turned pro before that he was still one of the most touted um cyclists out there so there is something what we were saying before about you know racing as hard as Peter raced. We're seeing now the young guys. Um, right. I mean, yeah. MVDP is yeah. already starting to to weaken. His back can't ha- hack it anymore. Right. Um, I know one of my good friends, Ryan Stanky. He and I always have the battle. Stanky's a huge MVDP fan. I'm a huge Wout fan, and uh, you know, for a long time, I mean, if you look at the resumes, you know, Matthew definitely has the better resume, but um, 
I don't know how much longer Matthew can go. That's a whole nother topic unto yeah, itself. Exactly. But yeah. with regards to Peter, you know, it's when these guys race as hard as they do it, it's got to hurt your body. And how yeah, long can you really soul. do it? Right. Mm-hmm. right. And it's, it, 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 so one is, is, is your body, right? Um, <clears throat> and I, and I think we, we spoke about that in earlier podcasts. If you just think about a rider being complete um, and maybe more talented, I think Wout van Aert is, has that. But then Van der Poel, just his, his mentality and, you know, <laughs> mind over matter, <clears throat> um, killer instinct, which I also believe Peter Sagan has, uh, but that's coming at a cost. Right. So, and how, how long can you be that focused and Mm -hmm. and that, you know, willing to sacrifice everything. Um, And I think that, that, you know, went against Peter Sagan at some point and he just was not able to, you know, put in the hours and a couple of injuries, you know, um, stuff like that. And uh, yeah, um, same, I don't know, same with, with Chris Froome, right? Mm -hmm. Obviously a horrible, horrible accident. But he's he's not he's not able to get back anymore, um, and you yeah. know that that ship with with new talents has sailed, um, yes. and then you are you know a little little over thirty, and you know you're not you're not able to catch up anymore. Mm. That's it, yeah. And he, and you know yeah. that the injuries play a big part of yeah. it. Um, I know I've had my fair share of injuries, and every time you come back from one, it it takes a lot because you know you were right about here and then you're injured you're down here so you bust your butt so hard to get back to that level yeah you know it's hard to get back there and when it does you have to spend so much more energy and mental energy physical that it it takes a lot more out of you um right it's yeah. overcompensating mm-hmm. right and that's, mm-hmm. that's also what i see with you know people that i coach is they busy at work you know kids bring the flu home or a cold and they're they're out for a couple of days and you know the the, the worst technique you can do is to get back on your bike too early and overcompensate because you want to make up you need to make up right mm-hmm. it's a must you have to do it and that's basically you know only contributing to putting your deeper in the hole um, mm-hmm. instead of being patient and and you know really make sure that it's out of your system but again that that's a whole other topic uh, <laughs> podcast by it uh, by itself um so yeah um, um and you know the final thing uh, two things actually that i want to wanted to add if, if you look at at, at Tismanot, taco van der hoor mahoric van hoidonk tim Wellens, these are all engines these are guys that are well known for just being able to sustain that speed so you know when they rode away i thought you know that's going to be so hard for for the peloton to to pick back up and at some point they they got organized you had the um what was it the uh, the, the lotto team and the, mm-hmm. the quick step team or Lotto Quickstep is actually the same team now. Um, the other, you know, um, uh, I actually don't know what... Uh, Sudal. <laughs> Sudal, Sudal, exactly. Um, the formerly known uh, Lotto team. Uh, they, they got organized, they had a couple of, but they, they you know, they kept them at uh, at about a minute, a minute 10 for, for the longest time. And uh, um, so, yeah, that was that was amazing uh, racing. Um, and, and a small correction, uh Stuart, you said the Pitcock van Aert, you know, crossing the line. Uh, that was actually the Amstel Gold race. Okay, my apologies. Right, and Pitcock st- still thinks that he won. 
he, he probably <laughs> did, right? But uh, um, uh, that was uh, the Amazon Gold race. Yes. Cool. And we're not done yet. So, you know, thinking about next week and next weekend. Um, yeah, we have we have Lissaman on the uh, 28th. I yep. think that's Tuesday. Um, and then we have Strata on the 4th, which is Saturday. And that... Um, I think next weekend, next Sunday, we'll talk a lot. I know we'll talk a lot about the Strata, but I know we'll also talk about whether or not that is a is a monument. Um, man, it's one of the most beautiful races there is. It's one of the few where when it's on, I grab my wife and I say, honey, yes, it's another bike race that's on the television, but this one you got to hang out and watch. And she does. It is, it yeah, is beautiful. It's, it's one of my favorites. Mm-hmm. And, the, and Even and, the riders, they all love it too. Yeah, the riders yeah, just, yeah. they can't wait to do it, you know? Mm-hmm. And the... The, the Italian, you know, broadcaster, the the camera work that they do is so epic. They they have mm-hmm. it nailed down. It's like just picture perfect, right? Even preferably when it's dry and dusty, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Uh, compared to to rainy and slippery, um, I, I I like it to be dry and dusty. And then you know these shots are so epic. It's uh, you know if you if you haven't seen it, just go and watch it and and enjoy it it's uh it's such amazing racing and you know this is the first classic that that Wout van Aert and van der Poel will be there Pogacar was supposed to be racing he isn't he will do uh, Paris-Nice um so that's a three or four day stage event I believe mm-hmm. um and um so you know that's 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 a shame. I would love to have seen these guys, you know, go at it, um, and uh, you know the the Strade Bianchi, the the epic finish in that in that that small town. You know, um, mm-hmm. it's it's just beautiful. Yeah, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it is. Jerry, uh, it's kind of a, a sidebar, but a question for you. You said something that that triggered this question. Uh, you said the Italian broadcasters or the Italian v- television crew. So, is there not like a UCI television crew? Is this no. like an Italian mm. racing television crew that films it and then provides them? Is that right? Yes, correct. Okay, yeah. well that that makes sense then because I, I think that the Italian worlds was one of the most beautifully shot oh worlds yes. I've ever seen. That that it's the same clip um, of Alaphilippe. Um, going along that ridge line, yeah, the ridge line, yeah, that was that as was well as the women's epic. winner, uh, um, as well, going along. Yeah. 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 Van der Bregen, yeah, Van der yeah. Van der Bregen. The two of them, yeah. Um, yeah. actually, I mean that that shot of Van der Bregen is one of the most yeah. her pedaling style in that shot specifically along that ridge line is like perfection. It's goosebumps, you know. The uh, Italians getting goosebumps. They know yeah. how to make it beautiful. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so that's that's next week. So and then then you have Parini and then Tirreno, Adriatico, you know, so much beautiful racing uh, racing mm-hmm. going on. Okay. There were a few other small races yes. this week. Um a few one day, no Ala Philippe did one. Yes. Um, there were a few others, uh, a few other small one-day races as well, but uh, we'll mainly stick to the the big ones. Absolutely. Okay. Um, good stuff. We have some technology updates for the listeners too. Jack, Jeff, J- Jerry, should off? we should we go to um, local race about uh, so Jeff can give us the local race yes, news since yes, we're, we're finishing uh, talking about races right now? Yes. Yeah. Yep. Sure. 
So this week we had an update from the race promoter, uh, Gary Klein, who's going to be putting on the nationals at Bear Creek. And that's going to be July 5th through the 9th. So if anyone's planning to come out for that race, I would suggest you go ahead and book a room now. Um, he doesn't have the race itinerary, but if you look at past nationals, it'll probably follow the same format. So if you're racing Cat 1, Cat 2, or Juniors, um, look at what they've done previously. It's it's going to be throughout the week. So it's either going to be that Wednesday, Thursday, or Friday when you're going to be racing. Um, the course is still being worked on, mm-hmm. but the good news is they're having a race in June at, at, uh, for the Mass Series, and it's going to be the same course. So if we're Stuart and I were laughing, like it's probably going to be the biggest turnout Mass race because <laughs> everyone wants to get a get a chance to preview. It's a though. preview, yeah, it makes sense. I've actually heard the bookies are already starting to take us to if any of the big name pros will end up showing up and who they'll be. Yeah, it'll be it'll be good. They're, they did include the heckle pit, so yes. um, everyone loves that area. That's going to be in part of the race. But the um, uh, USAC has asked for them to include more of uh, open field shots so they can get video and mm. photo. So they're going to be crossing the open fields a lot more than they have in years past. Um, so it's going to be fun. It's going to be uh, a great event, and we're looking forward. Uh, they're going to give us more updates as um, the uh, course gets finalized. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, and, and, and as soon as we learn more, we'll uh, we'll, we'll update everybody um, uh, along the way. And uh, um, you know, there's some work to do, but uh, um, they're starting early enough. So yeah, it will yeah. be amazing. Good to have it local. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. For sure. Yeah. Anything else on the on the local races, rides, front? Um, no, our next race will probably be the end of March, which will be the March Mayhem, the first mountain bike race um, of the H2H series. Uh, so that I don't see anything coming up between now and then. Unless, do you have anything planned, Stuart? No, I, I don't either. Yep. Yep. Right. So we're still a month away. Yeah, exactly. It's you know, we'll be there before you know it. Um yep. okay, cool. Um and then uh the the tech horner. Sure. So let's start with uh, we talked about it already, those helmets. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if you if, if anybody saw them, the 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 Uno X helmets. Were, yeah, and I think Jerry, you hit the nail on the head. It looks like the helmet from Spaceballs. It's really they're abysmal looking. <laughs> um, but I think they're fascinating because what's happening here is, you know, before we had aero helmets, so the helmet itself helmets are doing is it's much like what they're doing in a formula one aerodynamics they're directing the airflow around you know a formula one car has two things to do it's direct it's to reduce drag and to produce downforce and and obviously we're not worried about the downforce in in cycling we're not going that quite that fast yet um but reducing drag is is huge and what the helmets are doing is it's altering the flow around the rider's body so that it's producing less turbulence as it goes over the rider's shoulders and 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 backs 
So why they while they look absolutely horrific and and <laughs> you know I wouldn't want to be caught dead riding in uh, in one of them. You have a have my picture taken. Um, they're 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 very effective and like we said they're you know they, they won the time trial by a second and you know you think back to the the eight second win of Lamond when he was the first to adopt the arrow bars and and uh, and an arrow helmet and. Uh, and uh, you know he wins over over in ten over ten seconds versus Fignon, who is, has his blonde long blonde ponytail wagging uh, in the wind, mm-hmm. and on traditional uh, you know a traditional uh, handlebar. So so yeah, it's uh, I think it's the next stage, and it, I'm I'm interesting to see what the UCI does with all of this, right. um, because you know the, again you think back into the realm of Formula One with the regulations around what you can and can't do with the aero components right. of a car mm-hmm. in formula one, are we going to see the same thing starting to happen in, in, uh, in bicycle racing where, mm-hmm. you know, what, where's the limit? I mean, what do you do with aero and what can't you do? And I know there are already, you know, uh, you know, there already are some about, you know, how long your sock length can be and, yeah, and, sure. and, and whatever. So yeah, it ought to be interesting to see how far, you know, how far, the teams can take the arrow and when and if the uh, UCI steps in. Right. Yeah. I Jack, mean, to, 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 sorry, sorry, Jeff. Uh, to add on that, I mean, the, the UNOX helmets, even Alexander Kristoff was wearing an old time trial helmet without the visor as his road helmet. He was wearing it in mm-hmm. a lot of the races right. this uh, yeah. recently. Yeah. So UNOX clearly is... Um, I don't know if at the forefront's the right word, but they're definitely pushing the envelope. Right. Yeah. Some, uh, so this against, time if they get right. banned, yeah. we won't have to blame Matty Morich for something to get banned. It will be a, you know, X. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. When I, when I, when I saw that, that helmet, which is not the same helmet, but I immediately thought about, you know, the time trial that uh, Roglic lost from Pogacar oh, yeah. with his visor and his helmet crooked on right, his face. Right, right. <laughs> he looked so head, right. sad. He looked so... Yeah. Uh, <laughs> right. Poor guy. But, yeah. As a side <laughs> note, yes. But go yeah. ahead, Jeff. Yeah. Yeah, I was going to say, Jack, you'll be happy to know that there were several guys on the gravel ride today that were wearing... Uh, arrow helmets, so oh, arrow is gravel ride. Oh my goodness! Yes, Yikes. it's now yeah. made yeah, it to gravel. Well, yeah, now yeah. I have a specialized arrow helmet. Does that count as an arrow helmet? Absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. absolutely. And uh, by yeah. the way, for um, unbound, you you can't use these um, you know bolt-on tri bars anymore. Right. Or maybe, or maybe, maybe the uh, the amateurs can and the, the amateurs, know, quote unquote amateurs pros can, yeah. can yeah. can't, right? So correct, right? Yeah. So. For for things like that, I get it. It's the safety. Um, I mean, if somebody's down on their arrow bars yes. and you're on gravel wash bar, you know, if they go sideways a little bit, they they can't grab brakes right away, and it's it's dangerous. Um, I don't know why it's not the amateurs. I think for the amateurs in those events, it's because those guys are going to be out there for 12, 15, 18 hours, right. mostly by themselves. So they need it. Um, but I get it with the pros. Yeah. So, so you know, uh, riding at 25, 26, 27 miles an hour. And if the half is on in the tri bars, and, you know, it takes a really small 
wave of the pack and you have a massive crash, right? And, you know, everybody gets faster and those groups get bigger in unbound then specifically. So it's, it's probably the right call. And besides the fact, you know, I think a lot of, you know, there were a lot of uh, folks complaining uh, about it, um, like a, like it was an unfair advantage compared to the others that didn't, you know, choose to uh, to put those bars on. But again, we're uh, drifting away. Um, <laughs> so, you know, uh, the helmets uh, and anything else? Um, yeah, there was, uh, you know, Shimano uh, submitted a really interesting patent for a three-pulley derailleur um, with a very unorthodox chain routing where it, it actually goes through the, the, uh, the pulley system used to seeing. I mean, normally the chain goes through the uppermost pulley first and then exits the lower pulley. And in this one, you go through the lower pulley first and then go through the, the, the upper pulley. Um, it's really interesting. It it, re it results in a much shorter uh, derailleur hanger, uh, and and it looks like it might be able to eliminate the whole clutch mechanism, which adds friction uh, mm. to the to the drivetrain. I don't know if you guys saw that, but uh, yeah, I, it looks like they're it, that's probably going to show up on mountain bikes, mountain bikes first. First, right? yeah. first, yeah, yeah, yeah. Looked really interesting to me. I mean, again, very different from from what we're used to seeing, but you love to see that type of uh, the innovation. And it's just a patent. Lord knows, mm -hmm. you know, when it might make it to uh, uh, production. But uh, they're obviously uh, thinking about things differently than 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 tradition. Yeah. My two senses, if Shimano makes it, it's going to be awesome. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 absolutely, yeah. And and there's other things that you know. The, another thing we saw in the tech news this week was a um, uh, a metal tire. Now think about that. Um, it actually was uh, technology that was developed by NASA for their Mars rovers, and it's a titanium um, alloy that deforms when necessary, but always remembers its shape. Right. So, and you think about what a tire does. I mean, it goes through the deformation process to uh, eliminate the bumps and whatever. But this is doing it with uh, with a you know very you know a, a very uh, uh, pedestrian uh, example. It looks like a spring, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, it looks like a spring, and it deforms basically whenever it goes over any rough surfaces. Um, but it always retains its memory and it always bounces back. So, and, you know, obviously no flat tires or anything of that nature. Now, you know, I, I looked into it as much as I could. It's still in the, in the pre-revenue, pre-production stage. And it wasn't really clear how it would mount to an existing wheel and how they incorporate the rubber into it. You know, it's you know, they're advertising on the on their website that it is the your last tire you'll ever buy. Well, obviously, if there's rubber involved, rubber is going to wear. So there's right. got to uh, replace the rubber. And if it's an aftermarket, you somehow have to be able to mount this thing into a pre-existing, uh, you know, into a pre-existing wheel. 
But again, I found it pretty fascinating. I mean, just think, you know, you know, light, obviously, because it's it's mostly air. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. You can see right through the darn thing. It's mostly uh it's it's mostly <laughs> air, um, no flats, um, and 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 would probably have very low rolling resistance because the rolling resistance is uh uh would be phenomenal because of its uh, of shock absorbing uh, capabilities right. on the on the road you know may, might not have the greatest rolling resistance on a super smooth uh surface but let's face it most of our roads aren't super smooth so the ability to absorb vibrations is uh, is actually more important from a rolling resistance perspective than than uh than just being able to ride over a smooth road. Yeah. I wonder if this will first come to mountain bikes. Ah, yeah. Again, you know, wonder. Or yeah. gravel or yeah. gravel for that matter. Or yeah, or gravel. Already gravel or, the, yeah. The the you know, I could I could see it just as as an inner tube. What's what's the, the rubber called that you already can buy um for, for gravel bikes or mountain bikes that the inserts? But can't think of the name. Oh right yeah, now. yeah, be yeah. some of the ins tire inserts. Um there's tire one inserts. by Tubo Light is one of the big ones. Victoria, right. is that what you're talking about? Yeah. 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 Basically uh like a <clears throat> you know what you use in the swimming pool also but then smaller yeah, almost like a pool noodle. Yeah, yeah, pool noodle. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> And then those do work. I mean, I raced last year in March um, out in Moab, did a three-day long stage race, a mountain bike race, and I was using exactly those, uh, the Vittoria tire inserts, and I was able to run 13 PSI in my front wheel and 16 in my rear wheel, and that's with those square edges where you're most vulnerable, and uh, man, they, they work well, so they'll have to figure out something like that to go in so you don't break those carbon fiber rims. Right, yeah. Yeah, I'll I'll add the link um, in the in the notes uh, for, so everybody can uh, can see them because there's a lot of really neat information on that on that website which is actually um, it's called Start Engine so they use that to do some crowdfunding um, and this right. is the second round um, so it's basically their pitch uh, to 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 gather some funding and. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it's really interesting. Um, so. And and the tire is called the Smart S M A R T tire. Yes. Yep. Yeah, and the, and the, their cycling tire is called Metal M E T L. Yeah, so you know, Smart Tire Metal. That's metal. their their cycling because they're making it for more than just cycling. Yes. They're, they uh, also have automotive products as well. Yeah, I saw in there that Tesla um, was looking at it as well. Yeah. Within the next five years, they may incorporate it. So yeah. I know Jeff had to leave us, but I'm sure he uh, will be happy to hear that. <laughs> okay. Then we had some – there is a, a new Swift companion app uh, coming. Uh, so finally, I think the main goal of that of the, the Swift companion app is, is to track your progress. So it will keep track of – your 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 personal koms um mm-hmm. so that's that's pretty neat um obviously they already had the the ghost avatar whether you do a sprint or when you do complete route um you have your ghost avatar riding with you um and now in the companion app they're basically collecting uh, all your 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 leaderboards uh which i think is uh, is is pretty neat um as just as an additional uh, feature yeah, and it also allows you to sort of you know search through the routes, uh, you know the routes for each world. 
So it's a, a bit of what you get in Strava and a bit of what you get on Zwift Hacks. And uh, so it's nice to have it in the, you know, nice to have it all in the companion app. You don't have to go, you know, bouncing around a different site. So it is pretty handy. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And the the last topic, um, and, and, you know, people can go out and watch it themselves. So, you know, DC Rainmaker, you know, the guy who somewhat picked a fight with uh, with Strava, which you know <laughs> kind of caused the CEO uh, to to leave. Um he did a very, very extensive I, I think he, he said eight months or something. Yeah. Uh, yes. test for the, the Jurais, so the top of the bill, <laughs> you know, you can't get any better uh power meter, which is just way off. Um, and yeah, 20 uh, watts off on yeah. the small ring, yeah, and it's only wow. on the small ring, but it's 20 watts consistently 20 watts off, overstated, right? So, if you're you know, you're you're it reads 20 watts higher than anything else he calibrated with it, and it was consistent in the small ring, right? <laughs> yeah, so that's uh, that's that's not good. Um, and uh, you know, he's very obviously has been doing this for a long, long time, and he. You know, he 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 does. You know, knowing power meters like he does, he's saying, "I I, I don't have a clue how they can fix this." Right? That's that's yeah. how, how do you fix besides developing a, a new one? But how do you fix an existing power meter which is so much off? Mm -hmm. it's, it's not. Do you guys know updating the firmware or anything? Yeah. Did they buy Pioneer um, Shimano and did they take the Pioneer technology to first use the, the generation that we're talking about before this newest generation? Is that right? I'm not sure. I, 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 think, I do think they ended up buying yeah, a, a Pioneer, uh, but I'm not I'm sure if that's this, this power meter though. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, and it seems like the the pro teams have known about this for a while because you know you could spot the pro teams having a, you know different power meters on their you know Dura Ace equipped bikes, and and obviously why would you go to the you know go to the trouble of having a duplicative power meter on your bike? And it's obviously because they kind of knew it was wrong. It was right. in, in it was inaccurate, so they needed accurate uh, statistics. Right. Yeah, and yeah. especially because these pros, especially the new generation, they they ride by looking at their power meter because they exactly know what they can do. And mm -hmm. if your power meter <laughs> is twenty watts off, that's that's a big difference. Yeah, that is even big for difference. these yeah. pro guys. Yeah, 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 yeah. That was that was pretty shocking <laughs> to see that that was in the Endura Ace. Uh, yeah, that's the top of the line equipment. You do, would not expect. Have that level of inaccuracy in a in a wow. base product. Right. Cool. So that, yeah, uh, Stuart, was there anything else that um, you wanted to to bring up? No, I I think we kind of uh, might have ran out of time about talking about Yumbo Visma. Or I know we talked about them a lot, but we were going to chat a little bit about how dominant they are. Right. I don't know if we have enough time to do that right now. But uh, for those of you guys interested, they do have a mini series on Amazon about Yumbo Visma. Yep. Um, but bottom line, Yumbo Visma is doing everything right. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Um, you know, we 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 did want to talk about recovery a little bit um, and again the recovery and and training that's that's a topic that we can fill a whole podcast on I, I do want to 
touch a little bit because you said Stuart, you um, you you're looking at uh, you know building in some recovery mm-hmm. um, then the next this week coming or, week yeah exactly mm-hmm. so you know if I if I quickly go over basically a top ten of things that you need to take in account for for recovery um, you know one it starts with reducing your intensity. Um, and it could be from from a volume and or an intensity point of view, right? So um, I usually recommend a three to one schedule, which is then the basis of your recovery. So you increase your volume and or intensity over the course of three weeks and then followed by a week of recovery where you then again lower uh, that intensity and, and, and volume. Um, and if you maintain that, gradually over time over months you still have that increase but you're letting your body recover every um, three weeks Um, and when you let your body recover that's really where the magic happens because um, the human body um, and and, and your physiology you know you you always adapt um, uh, to whatever strain you are giving your body right so for example if you always ride consistently the same lap yes you will get better but at some point your body adapts to that strain and you won't see any improvements anymore and you you could even say that over time you will get start uh, get to start go slower and slower and slower yes. because your body is so well um, uh, adapted to that 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 strain um, so you need to you know you need to shock the system and uh, um you know, increase the intensity, uh, do VO2 max, um, have specific training blocks in order to uh, to make yourself to make yourself better. Uh, but you know, going into a recovery week really reduce the intensity and the volume of training during that uh, that week. Now, during that week, is it? I do a lot of weightlifting, anyways. Is it okay if I do one extra weight session if my time on the bike and my intensity on the bike is both decreased? But I do instead of two lifting sessions, I do three lifting sessions. No, you know, lifting is is very dependent on the time of the season. So, in in mm-hmm. you know preseason, you you usually do your lifting. But the recovery week is really a recovery week. So what you can do uh, in a recovery week is you can do active recovery, right? So you can you do low intensity activities like yoga, walking, maybe a little bit swimming, really to keep the blood flowing um, and mm-hmm. to speed up the recovery. But especially lifting, that's just putting a lot of additional strain. You're, the, the micro tears in your muscles, um, uh, that, that, that really happens um, uh, even more with, uh, with, with lifting. Okay. So, um, so lifting, should I although, go down to one lifting session during a recovery week yes, instead of two? Yeah, okay. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Or maybe do a little bit of uh, body weight, uh, core stability, a little bit of extra core stability, you know equal to to yoga type of uh, type of work yes. but um, um, so that's uh, you know um, uh, active recovery is part of that obviously adequate rest um, but you know getting enough sleep uh, is crucial for recovery but you don't have to wait until your recovery week to get some good sleep in so <laughs> you know on average 
um, and I know you 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 get by with a little bit less sleep, uh, um, and it's it's different per person. But for the most people, you know, getting between seven and nine hours sleep per night, uh, that's that's really preferable. Um, nutrition, right? Again, something that you have to keep in uh, keep keep in check all the time. Uh, but um, uh, during your recovery week, you do need to think about. Okay, when I do long rides, when I do high intensity type of workouts, I, I probably need a little bit more calories, right? So if your let's say your average is two thousand calories, that's just your your base metabolic rate is two thousand calories. When you add your rides and your workouts to that, you need twenty five hundred, or you need three thousand, or sometimes even more calories uh, to 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 balance that. Um, when you do nothing, or maybe um, uh, just some active recovery, um, if you keep on eating 3,500 calories, <laughs> right, <laughs> you're eating probably a little bit too much. So, you know, adjust your nutrition uh, throughout your um, uh, recovery week. Um, so you, you're basically getting closer to your your break-even metabolic rate. Um, so keep that uh, keep that in mind. But uh, do keep uh, uh, your your macros, so your protein, your carbs, your healthy fats, um, in in good uh, good balance. What does wonders? Yeah, what does wonders is getting a massage. Um, <clears throat> I know you you do that uh, quite often, uh, but you know uh, tight sore muscles. Again, increasing the blood flow, reducing inflammation, um, and and it's it's very very relaxing. So you know if you mm-hmm. have have a good massage therapist, I would highly encourage doing that. And then you have hydration. So in addition to your nutrition, make sure that you really drink enough water. Um, make sure that you uh, do that. Mm-hmm. Um, doing compression, ice baths, stretching. Um, and really, you know, I think the most important thing is take time to listen to your body. Maybe even do some meditating, right? Really take that time in the, in your recovery week to listen to your body, pay attention how you feel, um, and uh, uh, maybe adjust your recovery uh, by adding a day or reducing another uh, with a, with a day, uh, depending on how you feel. Thank you. So those would be my uh, my my tips for uh, you know um, recovery. Uh, at a high so level. I shouldn't go hit the gym and then go to the bar. Yeah. <laughs> no. No. Yeah, no. That's uh, that's uh, you will achieve Noted. the opposite. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right. Uh. Okay. Good stuff. So you know we um, and my apologies. I uh, I, I basically ran into the podcast because I was so excited about all the racing <laughs> and all the cool technology uh, stuff that we had. So I didn't start off with kind of laying out the topics, but you know, if I would summarize what we discussed, we we talked about the racing uh, from, from last week. Um, so talking about uh, the Tour, the UAE, uh, the Spring Classic and a couple of other races. Uh, we had some uh, really cool stuff around uh, uh, the technology uh, with uh, with the helmets and uh, mm-hmm. and and um, uh, Swift. Um, we talked about the XC Nationals, um, and yes. now we ended with the uh, with the recovery. Um, so I, you know, a little bit uh, longer uh, podcast than than usual. Um, set of topics. Um, mm-hmm. So great set of topics this week. A lot yeah. going on. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, more uh, more to come uh, next week. Thanks, Jack, Stuart, yeah. uh, Jeff, um, and uh, we'll talk to you again uh, next week. Um, yeah, same time, same place, and uh, have a great uh, the rest of your week, everybody. Thank you. Thank See you, you next week. Care.